And so when we say transparency, we really mean it, right? That's what everyone says. But in our sense, we tell you upfront how our business model works. And so we want you as a customer to know that we'll never be in conflict with you when it comes to helping you when, when things go bad. Transparency and teaching and educating the market about who we are and why we're building Lemonade is, I think, probably the best marketing tool we can use. Uh, don't just say you're transparent, show that you're transparent. Hello, and welcome to the FinTech Marketing Podcast, bringing you insights and ideas from the world's leading financial service marketers. I'm your host, Eric Fulweiler, CMO of 11FS. I'm on a mission to learn how the world's hottest startups and most innovative financial service brands drive growth through modern day marketing. Today's guest is Yael Wisner-Levy, VP of Communications at Lemonade, who is joining us from Tel Aviv, Israel. Hello, Yael. Thank you so much for taking the time. Hi, Eric. Thanks so much for having me. Great. So why don't we start with, um, can you just give us a quick overview of Lemonade for anybody who might not know uh, and your role within it? Sure. Um, So Lemonade is an insurance company, but not your ordinary insurance company. In fact, it's probably the most unordinary insurance company if you haven't heard of it already. Uh, We're a tech company doing insurance and not the other way around, although we're a fully licensed and regulated insurance carrier. And we're powered by artificial intelligence and behavioral economics, so a lot of taking a lot of um, research from those fields and implementation. And we're driven by social good. So we have uh, we're a B Corp, a certified B Corporation, which means that we're legally uh, binded to a double bottom line. So we're committed both to our profit, but also to the public good. And we've kind of changed and reimagined insurance uh, the way you know it. And it's one of those industries, and I'm sure everyone has an anecdote from some insurance uh, situation, it's one of those industries that has ignored every revolution since the Industrial Revolution. And uh, when Lemonade started uh, in 2015, it was started by two veterans of the tech industry, Daniel Schreiber and Chai Winninger, who knew nothing about insurance. And it's precisely kind of that ignorance of insurance that led them to build an insurance company that is really powered by bots and algorithms rather than by paperwork and um, phone calls and faxes and stuff like that. So everything you can imagine about insurance, but really done differently and done with uh, the consumer in the center with uh, a social good uh, embedded uh, business model. So we give back any kind of unclaimed money or money that's left over to charities that our customers choose and really just getting an insurance policy, you do it from your phone, takes about 90 seconds. You meet a chatbot named Maya who asks you a couple of questions. And when you want to file a claim, you meet our chatbot named Jim and do the same. And this whole um, tech-based experience and our business model, which we can go into, allows us to pay claims super fast. We're not in conflict with our customers. Um, and we also, of course, give back uh, extra money or money that's left over to charity that our customers choose. That's great. Yeah, it's interesting. The whole idea of kind of not coming from the industry. I think the default for most people in most situations is you think that you kind of need to come from it in order to know what needs to be done. And obviously, subject matter expertise is important. But especially as the leaders or C-suite of a business, sometimes coming in with a fresh perspective and not being beholden to the way things have been done, let you do something completely different. Absolutely. And that's not to say that we don't have insurance experts on our team. We have, you know, uh, industry legends on our team. And we like to say that when they joined, they were going through some kind of midlife crisis and therefore, uh, you know, had to leave the industry and and jump ship to Lemonade. 
But sometimes, you know, too much, knowing that too much of something really confines your way of thinking about it. And especially in insurance, such a highly regulated industry where really nothing had changed. You know, you look at all the other industries that have been disrupted by tech, insurance has really stayed unspoiled by innovation in that sense. And a lot of times when you know too much, you say, I can't do that. That can't, you know, this is not going to happen in this industry. No one will allow this or, and, and so forth. But when you take a totally outsider's perspective on something, uh, you can really, you know, you ask the questions, why, why do people feel so frustrated with insurance? Uh, so these were the kind of questions that Dan, Daniel and Shai asked themselves. And when you look at it from a behavioral economics perspective, purely, you realize that a lot of the way insurance has been structured and been doing business, you know, it's been around for hundreds of years, is based on this inherent conflict of interest. They make money every time they don't pay out a dollar in claim. It goes back to their profit. And that kind of profit um, kind of conflicts them all the time with, should I be paying this person's claim or should I not? And we've removed that conflict of interest. Uh, If you go into Dan Ariely, who's our chief behavioral officer and is a renowned behavioral economist, uh, he's out of Duke, and he's written quite a few papers and and best-selling books about um, behavioral economics. And he talks a lot about why people lie and what, you know, he has a great book uh, called The Honest Truth About Dishonesty. And he says it's not that people are inherently bad. We're not all liars to begin with. But if you build a system that brings out the worst in people, it would look like a lot like how traditional insurance looks today. But if you change that system, you build it differently, you'll see that people's behavior changes as well. And that's what we try to do on the behavioral side with Lemonade. Of course, on the tech side, there's a whole, that's a whole new other kind of uh, story. But marrying those two concepts together of you know, pure behavioral economics together with bringing insurance up to the 21st century. That was something that we wanted to do from day one. And we feel like we're, we're on that track. Yeah, no, I definitely know. I think a lot of people know Dan Ariely. I've read a lot of his stuff. I find it fascinating. Is that that kind of behavioral economics um, perspective and baking that into the business model? Are there ways that you use that in your marketing as well? So when we say transparency, we, we really mean it, right? That's what everyone says. But in our sense, we tell you upfront how our business model works. And so we want you as a customer to know that we'll never be in conflict with you when it comes to helping you when, when things go bad. Um, we have a flat fee model. So we take a 25% flat fee when you, know, you get a policy. And we ask you to choose a charity you'd like to support if there's uh, a year where you don't have any claims. Transparency and you know teaching and educating um, the market about who we are and why we're building Lemonade is, I think, probably the best marketing tool uh, we can use. Uh, Don't just say you're transparent, show that you're transparent. And to that effect, we've periodically put out uh, what we call the Lemonade Transparency Chronicles. If you go to lemonade.com slash transparency, you'll see a lot of our behind-the-scenes stats and metrics that, you know, no tech company really feels comfortable revealing. Um, You know, you can't always show exponential growth or you can't always show... Uh, that everything's just amazing. And you have to also show the successes, but also the failures. And where did we screw up? Where could we have done better? Um, You know, how much money do we have in our bank account right now? Stuff like that, that would make any tech company, let alone any insurance company, get very uneasy in their seats. And we do it because we want to hold ourselves to a very high standard. And we say, you know, we know we're new on the block and we know that 
insurance companies you need to trust, but trust can't be demanded. It has to be earned. And so if we can earn it by showing you what a transparent company looks like, um, I, I believe uh, that that's probably the strongest motivator of marketing in that sense. Um, but we do it in a lot of other ways. We're very honest about, you know, what we feel about social and political and environmental issues. Uh, we take stances on issues that many companies uh, would shy away from. We took a stance on guns and on climate change, and we committed not to invest in coal because we understood that insurance companies are one of the biggest investors of fossil fuels and kind of perpetuating the cycle of um, of climate change and, and actually fueling the fire, excuse my pun. So taking stances on things that we believe in, even though we believe and we know that we can't change much, but doing something uh, small will, will says, speaks volumes uh, and staying transparent and honest with our customers and having this direct relationship with our customers, that's as much integrity as a brand and a company can have these days. So I've heard some people in the UK uh, compare you, Lemonade as a brand, to Monzo in the sense that, you know, within financial services, different industry, but um, the idea of kind of transparency at the core of both the business and the marketing activity, building community, really standing for something. Is that a fair comparison or how, have you thought about that before? How would you respond to that? I'm, I'm not familiar uh, completely with their business model and so forth. Um, I can say that there is, and, and, you know, there are a lot of companies springing up with a social impact element, and we applaud that. Um, and we also, have, and on, that's on the social side, on the tech insurance side, we see a lot of insure tech companies springing up, which is great. It, it kind of shows that there is um, a need for it and that the traditional insurance industry is not serving those who are underserved. Um, what's special about Lemonade in both these instances is that we're not uh, we're fully licensed and regulated insurance carrier. So we're kind of competing with the big guys, with the state farms and Liberty Mutuals and Nationwide and so forth. Whereas there are a lot of insured tech companies that are um, considered carry not considered carriers. They're comparison websites or brokers or agents. Um, and while that's wonderful that they're changing a lot of the onboarding process and, you know, making insurance a more delightful experience, uh, the reason Lemonade went on the harder route of becoming fully licensed and regulated, even though, you know, uh, as I said, the two techies coming into the industry, not knowing much about insurance and deciding to take the harder road was because change can only happen when you actually change the infrastructure, the underlying formations of the company. And to be built completely on a digital substrate the way Lemonade is and to create a business model that really never existed and have that approved by regulators uh, is something that will help us to build a brand that is not a short-term kind of company, but has a long-term vision and has a global vision. So we're not purely American or we're also in Germany now. We're not purely German. We have a vision of building a brand and a product line that is far exceeding uh, just, you know, renters and homeowners and just in certain geographies. And just to pick up on that, being um, someone living in the UK who could certainly use some help with additional options and insurance, <laughs> any plan, I know your CEO has said before that uh, there aren't current plans to come to the UK and Brexit is a factor and all that, but any plans for further European or other market expansion for you all? Absolutely. So what's great about um, the European license that we have is that it's, it's much 
more rapid of a process in terms of opening up new countries. Uh, of course, you have to adapt to the language and, and stuff like that. But in the U.S., in terms of regulations, this is just, you know, an anecdote. Uh, each state has its own uh, regulation and, and rules of uh, filing. And you work with 50 different regulators, whereas in the EU, we're already uh, licensed uh, with uh, under the Dutch regulator for the entire EU. So, yes. <laughs> Great. So you mentioned, I want to go back to something you said before, talking about transparency kind of through and through. Um, so you said, you know, you're transparent about your successes, you're transparent about your failures, which, you know, certainly commend from a business and a marketing standpoint. But when it comes to the marketing specifically, are there successes that you want to talk about in, in the last kind of recent period of time, but also failures and maybe things that you've learned from them that you're applying going forward and other people listening to this can learn from? Yeah, so a lot of, uh, when you, when we say marketing, so a lot of what we've done at Lemonade is, you know, built on this idea of directness and transparency and being honest, um, and telling and treating, you know, the people that get Lemonade as our community rather than just, you know, customers. There's a, the whole, you know, and we, we measure everything. We're a data driven organization and every kind of, uh, decision that we make is based on data and, and details and so forth. And so we measure a lot of our interactions with our customers by NPS, Net Promoter Scores, um, which basically is a, a metric that shows how happy you are with the service. And our customer experience teams and our claims teams are a bunch of humans, um, and we give them the mission of delivering any kind of experience with empathy. Um, you don't hear that a lot in, in a lot of industries. I'm not going to only go at the insurance industry, but a lot of customer-facing teams don't have that as their mission, an empathy-driven mission. And they don't measure NPS on the daily level that we do. Because what we want people to feel at the end is that we want to empower our human team to really understand that they're there for these people when, you know, laptops is stolen is, is maybe a minor bump in the road, but we deal with, you know, fire, home fire victims and people who've had their homes flooded by a burst pipe and, and stuff like that. And when you have like an empathy driven mission, it kind of trickles down to all teams. So our product people, uh, they're building, you know, product and they're working very closely with the dev team to build a, a beautifully designed UX UI, but it's also, designed with empathy in mind. What is, you know, what, how, as a human on this earth, would I like to receive my insurance coverage? Um, and the same thing goes to the marketing communications and content team. What are the things that we should be writing about that, yes, I want to help and educate about insurance. And we have a whole insurapedia where we kind of break down very complicated insurance jargon into everyday language. But we also want to write about other stuff that you know, we think is, is moving the needle and it's impactful. So a lot of things from behavioral economics, how can we bring value to people's lives? And from a marketing standpoint, we see a lot of people, you know, reading an article about how to be more productive or how to build a caring work culture. And then, you know, saying, wait, what's this, what's this blog? What, what's lemonade? Oh, you know what? I'm going to get renter's insurance. Um, so that kind of funnel as well is something um, that I think a lot of, if we're talking purely marketing funnels, is something very, very uh, unique um, because we don't write certain content to sell a policy. We write content to bring value to people's lives. Same thing goes with our give back. Uh, so we once a year, as I said, our business model allows us to give back money to charities people choose. And a lot of these partners of ours are organizations that, big and small, are very, very impactful in their field. 
And many times they'll want to speak on our behalf and say, and tell their community, you know, we're, go, 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 go get some lemonade because we're going to, we're their partner and they're going to help us. You know, the Trevor Project helps LGBTQ plus uh, children and adults uh, overcome challenges. We work with the ACLU, which is controversial in, in some um, circles. We also work with, you know, war vet- military veterans, uh, helping them overcome uh, PTSD when they come back uh, from being abroad. So all these different kinds of organizations that we're working with, it comes from a pure embedded kind of partnership rather than just an oversight of, you know, corporate social responsibility or philanthropy because, you know, we, we had a good year, so let's do some philanthropy. It comes from a very kind of pure place of we're time. This is what the model says. We're not better people than the next company, but we've built a model that has social impact embedded in it. And that kind of marketing, and I hate to kind of marry the term marketing in here, but that kind of uh, messaging, you know, holds true throughout the year. It's not just, you know, a campaign. I actually think that empathy is going to be a term and a philosophy and strategy that we're going to hear a ton more about in this decade in kind of more modern day, um, you know, current marketing organizations. Because I think at the end of the day, like you said, add value. How do you add value to the lives of the customer? And that will actually bring the business to you. That's very much how we think about it. That's very much how I believe in it. I think that modern day CMOs, VP of marketing, I think that that should be the North Star because fundamentally it's no longer enough to have a good product, to have good distribution, to even have a good consistent brand. You need to do all those things, but you also need to bring value not just through the product, but also through the marketing and communications and content and experience because people just have so much more choice now. And so they're, you know, they don't just have to choose the right insurance product for them. They can choose that and get it from a brand that is contributing and cares about the causes that they do. Absolutely. And it has to also be authentic. So you don't want to just, you know, do something for the sake of doing it because everyone else is doing it, right? You want to do something because you and your team believe in it as well. Um, and you don't, you know, you don't want to send an email just because you're supposed to send an email. I mean, a lot of marketers in uh, big companies, or big and small, you know, want to build, you know, email funnels and, and so many things like that, that when you sit and set, sit and think to yourself, wait, what am I trying to convey in this email? Do I want to get this kind of email? And a lot of times the answer is no, but you're sending one anyway. That's when you should sit and say, what am I actually trying to, what's my ask here? Do I have an ask? Am I authentic to who I am and what I believe in? Because authenticity today is not something that you can, you know, make up. You, you, you either are or you're not. And a lot of times it means staying silent on certain things, but being very vocal in others. And also making yourself feel uncomfortable, making yourself vulnerable to certain things. Um, when we decided to take our stance against guns, and when I say against guns, we're, we're not against, of course, gun owners. It's, it's a constitutional right in the U.S. We're against gun radicals. And we decided to limit the amount of gun coverage that we've given our policies. It was following the Las Vegas massacre, and it just didn't feel right as an insurance company uh, that we would be able to cover, offer coverage of so much firearms. And for what, to what extent? And we, you know... Other companies, many times when they make any kind of an announcement like that, they'll do market research and, you know, test calls and target, you know, groups and so forth. And for us, it was more of a decision of we don't want to be that company that covers extensive amounts of of firearms. Uh, And and we don't want to do any kind of um, uh, attack weapons at all. Uh, And 
can we be that? Can we do anything in this regard? The you know the gun debate in the U.S. is is one that is uh, a very partisan one. It is one that you know rips a lot of populations apart, and we don't we can't fix it, but we can make a dent in it. And we decided to send an email out to all of our users at the time, saying, you know, this is who we are. This is what we believe in. Um, we're not against gun owners at all. Some of us are gun owners ourselves. Uh, but we do want to do the minimal that we can do as an insurance company. And we feel that we have the responsibility to do as a B Corp as well. And we're going to kind of limit the amount of coverage we we get for guns. That's great. I was actually going to ask you, you know, having that conversation about empathy and transparency and, and being authentic to kind of, if that's at a at a very high level, how do you translate that into kind of tactical marketing or communication activity? But I think that that's a great example of having a belief of, you know, the, what you want to stand for, what you believe in, how you think the world should be, and then making decisions based on that that translate into a very specific, you know, product or business change and communication to customers in the market that goes along with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so let me ask then on the on the other side of the fence. Can you speak to anything that you've learned by something not going well? Like it it's clearly sounds like there's a lot of good things going on for the business, for everything going on for you in marketing and communications. Any kind of lessons learned from stuff that hasn't gone as well that you can speak to? Yeah, I mean, we 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 we're a brand that, as you as you probably understand by now, we're a brand that likes to take risks and we like to do things, um, you know, unconventional. And, and we like and we're happy to do the things that make others uncomfortable. But sometimes we do things that you know make us, you know, that we we should have thought about, you know, before. Um, we don't want to be negative towards the industry, uh, towards the traditional insurance industry. There are hardworking, super smart folks that have built the traditional insurance industry and, you know, they are, there's so much to learn from them. And, and many times you can find yourself, you know, saying things negative about an industry where we don't really believe that that's the case. It's more of, you know, there's, there's a room for everyone. There's, there'll be people that will always want to get, you know, their agent and walk into the agent's office and, and um, answer a few questions by paperwork. And there are others that want to tap on their phone and, and, you know, file a claim at 4 a.m. So recently we ran an ad in the New York City uh, Taxi Top campaign and we made a mistake. Uh, we made a lot of people in our industry uncomfortable. And, you know, when, when we were planning it, we thought maybe it would be funny. But looking at it again uh, in, in kind of the real world didn't feel right. The ad read insurance without the 100 years of experience screwing you. And then the lemonade logo. Um, and so, you know, for some on our team... It, it sounded like, you know, a, a great idea for others. It uh, made them feel too uncomfortable. You know, we're part of that industry as well. And it didn't really adhere to our core value of turning something bad into good. There's obviously no good here, just just bad. And we made those mistakes. And, and, we, and by the way, we were talking about transparency before that. We write about that in our Transparency Chronicles. We openly admit that and we, we apologize uh, because, A, we, we all make mistakes as well. But we also don't want to be perceived as someone, as a company that is trying to screw anyway, uh, anyone. It's not, it wasn't a nice ad and it doesn't represent what we stand for. Um, so mistakes are made all the time. Totally. Yeah. And I think it, I think um, especially when you're a brand and business that is pushing the envelope a little bit and taking risks, you know, it's going to happen, right? Because it's a fine line to walk. And I think how you respond to it is sometimes just as important or even more memorable for some people than, than what you actually said. And then of course the learnings of it that you apply going forward. 
Absolutely. And, and knowing to admit it and move on is, uh, it, it's great. It's part of our culture here at Lemonade, you know, just because you've worked on something so hard and you're about to press enter or you're about to press deploy for the product team and for the engineering team doesn't mean that it's the right thing. And we're, you have to be brutally honest with yourself and with your colleagues and say, wait, is this exactly what I meant? Because if not, then let, let's rethink this. Um, we move fast. And when you move fast, you sometimes make mistakes. But I think what the, the beauty of it is that we know how to kind of step back and, and admit our mistakes and learn from them, of course. And at the end of the day, you're still moving incredibly quickly. And I think speed is just so important in today's landscape, particularly when you're a, a challenger in a landscape that is changing so so quickly and so drastically. So um, let's talk a little bit about something that you've been getting a lot of press and buzz for <laughs> around the brand recently. Um, so... T-Mobile, Deutsche Telekom, this whole situation around magenta and pink. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about that? And so what it is quickly for people who might not have seen, but then I think it'd be interesting to go a little bit behind the scenes if you can on when it came up, how did you decide how to handle it and how have you been kind of managed? It's not really a campaign, but how have you been managing it from a communication standpoint since? Sure. Um, so what happened very... Uh... <laughs> In, in a very kind of funny turn of events is we launched in Germany back in uh, June of last year. And a few weeks afterwards, we received a note from Deutsche Telekom, it's T-Mobile's parent company, saying that they had um, the color pink, their color pink, as, as people in the, in the U.S. will know, uh, T-Mobile's pink, and in Europe, DT's pink, uh, saying that pink was theirs, and they demanded that Lemonade abandon its use of pink entirely. They, they call it magenta. Um, but they they sent us kind of a proceeding um, for Lemonade, a pre preliminary injunction really to remove the color immediately from our German website. And so we haven't had our day in court yet. And that was kind of like a bully tactic, right? Because you just launch in a new country, you get this injunction and you're told that you can't use a color that they say uh, they have the exclusive rights over that color. Um, and we've been using pink prominently and proudly since, you know, what, since we started in back in 2015, or we have an entire Instagram campaign is based on objects that we dip in the color pink and it's been viewed, you know, um, tens of millions of times in, in recent months only. So I don't think there's any other brand in the world looking at insurance uh, that is more closely connected to the color pink than, than we are, but DT, Deutsche Telekom, uh, thought differently and asked us to remove it right away. And I think this is where, this is where kind of the lemonade culture spirit comes alive is, you know, we decided not to stay silent. Um, and we decided to confront a Deutsche Telekom and we went out with a press release, um, talking, you know, just saying, this is what happened. This is what we're, this is what's happening to us right now in Germany. This is why we've had to change the color on our German website to a, a reddish, uh, hue um, because we're being bullied by Deutsche Telekom. Um, they sought to banish this kind of pink from so many different companies. And when we found that out, we saw that they had done this to, you know, small startups and even like Indiegogo and kind of those kinds of crowdsourced startups really going after anyone that used the color pink. We realized that we have to kind of take one for the team, if you will, and stand up to them. And so we decided to also take them to court. Um, and we're not signing their agreement and we're challenging their kind of claim to pink, uh, in all jurisdictions, um, in, in Europe. Um, 
it's really kind of a strong arm kind of bully tactic into signing us away from using the color pink. And what we wanted to do is basically just, you know, tell the world that this is happening. This is not cool. We're not going to stand for it. Who's with us? Um, and we did speak, you know, to the press. We, a Twitter campaign went on um, with the hashtag free the pink that took off pretty well. Um, and, you know, the story kind of organically reached big news outlets, NPR and TechCrunch and, and advertising uh, magazines and marketing magazines, because it is an interesting question. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, nobody really expected, I think, a uh, relatively smaller insurance company to take on this kind of big Goliath of a, of a brand like the Deutsche Telekom. I do have to give a shout out to your Instagram account. Um, cause it's, it's fascinating <laughs> to seeing everything dipped in pink and also, uh, kind of therapeutic in a way. I don't know, but for people who haven't seen it, check out Lemonade Inc. on Instagram. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, so let's talk about the roadmap for this year. You know, you, you, Lemonade has raised a, a lot of money recently and I don't think we've heard a lot, yeah. um, about kind of the intent with that money. I'm assuming a good amount of that will go towards kind of marketing and driving growth of the business. But can you talk to us about 2020 and beyond kind of what's on the roadmap for you from a marketing standpoint that you're excited about? Yeah. So, um, you know, we've raised, uh, $480 million from a bunch of different, uh, globally known, uh, investors, uh, great partners. And a lot of it, because we're a regulated insurance company, a lot of it has to go to surplus to the bank account and we haven't touched that. And so what we're looking towards 2020 is geographic expansion. Uh, right now we're available for most of the United States, but not all of the United States. Uh, as I said, we're available in Germany, but we'd like to roll out more countries uh, in Europe as well. And we're also trying to focus on different customers within uh, the customers that we already have. So we have a, we're known to be you know majority renters policies, uh, younger demographic um, people who haven't had insurance before, but are now looking to get insurance, or they stumbled upon Lemonade and said, "Wow, you know, for five dollars a month, I, I better get this." But we also want to look out to the homeowners. Um, you know, homeowners have are different premium pay. They pay around six times that of a renter. Um, they're a harder target market because they're usually already insured. And we want to show them that Lemonade does things differently as well. And we've seen in the past few months, we've put like a real product engineering and business kind of objective to get more homeowners than we have. And so I think that 2020 will, will focus more on homeowners and, and in general, just different products. We announced yesterday that we're going to get into pet insurance, uh, which is super exciting uh, because as many of us are pet parents ourselves and we know the frustration and really the horrible dilemma of having to know, like, you know, how do I treat my furry family member uh, if I have to break the bank account? Um, it's an industry that is in dire need of kind of a simplification and an upgrade to the 21st century. So we're excited to announce that we're going to go into pet insurance this year. Uh, a lot of the customers have asked for it, um, and it's something that we're seeing that is increasingly important to our customer base and, of course, to us. It's personal for us as well. So we're very, very excited about that as well. So expansion in different geographies, expansion in different products, 
um, that's what's on, on our plate. Exciting times. Lots of growth. Sounds like it's pretty busy over there. It is. So before we wrap up, um, would love to just give you a minute or two to share for our audience any sources of inspiration for you as a business professional marketer. Are there any books that have had a big impact you'd recommend to people, websites, yeah. newsletters, any, any places that you go for inspiration about what you do? So as a, as a personal like marketer on the personal side of things, I, I, I read a lot of Twitter. I read a lot about what's going on. Uh, Twitter can be very much of an echo chamber. You need to be careful about who you follow and make sure you're hearing all kinds of opinions at once. But you'd be surprised about how much you can learn and see kind of sentiment and what really irks people and what makes people move and what, what drives people towards empathy um, on Twitter and join the conversation yourself. That's on a, like a more personal level. On a more professional level, I highly recommend uh, Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway's podcast. I also recommend this podcast. Um, but uh, what I love about also Scott and Kara's, they kind of tell it to you straight. They're kind of unbashedly uh, honest and they don't try to butter anyone up. And they just, you kind of hear a very candid overview of marketing and business and kind of what the tech industry is going through right now. Uh, Scott Galloway also has a really cool blog. I also love reading Dan Ariely's books. I think there's a lot of, in general, behavioral economics, and it's not only Dan, Dan is, is one of its most renowned specialists, but in general, behavioral economics, it tells you so much about the human psyche, and it kind of defies a lot of the biases that we have towards what we think, hum how humans will behave. And when you kind of look at it again, you realize that, you know, we're all pretty irrational human beings, and we make decisions based on other things, based on not only what we think is rational thinking, but a lot of them based on emotion. And how can you tap into that as a marketer is very, very valuable. Yeah, especially in financial services. Especially in financial services, exactly. It's amazing how much we don't know about even the decisions we we make every day. Um, that's great. And and yeah, I've actually just started listening to the Scott Galloway Kara Swisher podcast because a couple of people pointed <laughs> me in that direction. So it's good stuff. It's fun. It's a fun time. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, last question, anybody out there in the kind of financial services, fintech marketing space that you think we should get on the show, maybe for season two, any suggestions? Oh, wow. If you can get Scott Galloway on, <laughs> I really do. I mean, he, he does his predictions for the next year. He talking about transparency and, and knowing when to admit when you've, when you've made mistakes, he's like that number one person. Uh, he does a lot of predictions for the coming year. And then he goes back and says, you know, this is where I was right, but this is where I was totally wrong. Um, and he's a very, very, especially for marketers, I think a, a great person to hear from um, because he, he won't butter you up and he'll, he'll give it to you straight. And th that's something that I think any marketer can use at yeah. all times. No, that'd be great, actually. I've always been a fan of his, going back all the way to the L2 days. <laughs> so that wraps up today's FinTech Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much to Yale for joining me. Where can people connect with you or find out more about what you're doing with Lemonade? So I urge everyone to subscribe to the Lemonade blog if you like what you heard, lemonade.com slash blog. Uh, that's where you can find also our transparency chronicles and so forth. And yeah, you said it yourself. Our Instagram is what we call oddly satisfying. So it's like nice and fun to look at. It's therapeutic, some say. Um, but it's also kind of like our art gallery. And so it really kind of, if you're a designer at heart, or if you just really like kind of creative uh, thinking and design thinking, that's a great place also. And follow us on social media. We're there every day. Perfect. 
So thank you so much to everyone for listening. If you want to find out more about 11FS, head on over to 11FS.com to see how we're helping companies go truly digital. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the FinTech Marketing Podcast. And please, seeing as this is season one, we're just getting this off the ground. Please, 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 if you enjoyed anything of this content or what else we're putting out there, would love and really appreciate a review. And of course, please share it with other people that you think would find it valuable. And you can always reach us directly at 11FS on Twitter or LinkedIn or emailing us on the media production team. We'll have more episodes coming out very soon. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. Thank you.